Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, viewed to be the best. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. So one of the things that we've started doing around Dog Nation here, and some of you I think are kind of aware of this, it's a new content series called Gimme 5. And what Gimme 5 is, it's basically like a Q&A type thing, and at different points in time, different people around Dog Nation take turns answering the questions. It's five questions each week. We provide our answers. And what I'm about to say, I think I've already said some of on the air. I can't remember if it's part of a cool down or part of the regular show, whatever else. But there was one question I kind of got last week that has kind of been in my head here a little bit, and I can't quite stop thinking about this, and I think it kind of leads to a pretty interesting question. And what the person asked was, and I, I'm kind of paraphrasing here, and I apologize for not giving full credit, although I, in my written piece this weekend at dognation.com, I showed you this tweet, but somebody asked me is, hey, do you think that Georgia can regain the confidence that it had when it was dominating Oregon in week one? Because the 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 premise of the question is, that's the level of confidence that Georgia is going to need for what's about to happen. Florida rivalry coming up on Saturday, big games to come beyond that. That the version of Georgia that was so confident by appearances against Oregon is the one that needs to come back uh, for the rest of the season. And the I guess the the turn the tables kind of moment for me is is that even though I'm supposed to be answering that question, it kind of led me to a question, which is, are we sure that Georgia isn't confident right now? Because I have reason to believe that they probably are. And in fact, I want to talk about that for a moment. I want to talk about for a moment the level of confidence that Georgia shows. And I think the justification for that confidence, and it's also, I guess, worth kind of considering here for a moment, that the worst cliche in all of college football, it gets beaten to death. It's it just hounded over and over and over again. You'll remember a few years ago that Nick Saban talked about the idea of rat poison, that when the media says something good about a team, it's actually bad for the team because the premise here is that it creates an inflated sense of confidence and that inflated sense of confidence can be harmful and cause a team to go out and lose a game. And maybe there's a degree to which that's true, I, I don't know, but it has been overemphasized to the point now where it's a total cliche, it's kind of lost all of its original meaning, and I sort of suspected it may not be quite as true as Saban suggested it was years ago and everybody's kind of bought into after that. I actually believe there is a degree to which that confidence probably is a good thing, that believing in yourself, knowing that when things get tough, you are tough enough to handle what's on the way, there's actually a degree to which some teams may suffer from a lack of confidence. Some teams may get afraid and scared when moments get really big, but if you have that extra level of confidence, you're somewhat girded against all of that, and I think that there's a chance that Georgia is kind of one of those teams as we move into the future, a team that has some justifiable confidence. And if you watched college football this weekend, I think that your overall takeaway probably should have been that being confident in Georgia is something that makes some sense, whether it be for, you know, Georgia itself, you know, whether it be the team feeling confident itself. And by the way, the fire alarm is not going off in this building. The last time this happened, it went off in about nine seconds. So I'm going to hopefully uh, figure out this is some sort of false alarm. So I apologize for that. Uh, you probably can't tell that, but we can tell that here. So let me just try to get back in the conversation. I think we're okay uh, for right now. The point is, is that Georgia, the team, should be confident in itself. The point is, I think fans, if you watch college football this weekend, you got to be pretty confident in Georgia too, because what did you see? You saw an Oregon team that Georgia beat 49-3 to to begin the season, 
go out and get a big win against previously undefeated UCLA on Saturday. All of a sudden, Oregon looks like the class of the Big 12, or I should say the Pac-12. They are in some form or fashion a playoff contender, and this is the kind of team that Georgia handled with ease to begin the season. When you watch the way that Oregon is playing now, as a Georgia fan, it ought to make you more confident in the team that you cheer for each and every Saturday. And if you feel that way about the Dogs winning against the Ducks, I think you should also feel that way about Georgia's win against South Carolina. Was it 49-7, whatever it was? Uh, a couple of weeks after the beatdown against Oregon, you beat down the Gamecocks. And what has South Carolina been doing since then? Compiling win after win after win against teams like Kentucky, against Texas A&M on Saturday. Suddenly, the Georgia win against South Carolina looks far more impressive there as well. Uh, this is a Georgia team right now that has earned your confidence because the teams it's beaten up on have gone out to beat some other teams. Also, getting ready for Florida on Saturday. We've never seen Georgia be the level of favorite that it is going into a game like this. Once again, people kind of outside the bubble of Dog Nation showing some confidence in UGA, the kind of thing I think that fans ought to uh, show there as well, and the kind of thing that I think inside the football building they probably have. Georgia probably believes in itself, and I think it probably should. And this is what this is kind of leading me to here today, is that in a roundabout way, this may be a big difference in UGA right now and UGA a year ago. That Georgia last year, as it made its march towards a national championship, did so without knowing if it was really good enough to get there. And I think this can be easily forgotten. I think this can be easily misunderstood. Because once something happens, Georgia wins the national championship, there's a way in which you kind of go back and look at that, and it sort of always sort of feels like it was destined to occur. But you got to remember something here for a moment. you got to remember something here for a moment. At the beginning of the year, there were few people, very few people, who were actually predicting Georgia to do what it eventually did. There weren't a lot of people saying this about UGA there at all. When you go back to the beginning of the season, remember when Georgia was battling it out trying to beat Clemson, and this was one of those games that Georgia fans had circled for quite such a long time because Clemson had been a fixture in the playoff. That's what Georgia wanted to get back to. And you had this knockdown drag out where points were very hard to come by for both teams. And really defensively, Georgia had to lead the way that day by a razor-thin margin. You got the win that day against the Tigers. Well, think about how, how much reason Georgia would have had to doubt itself prior to a moment like that. And think about... You know, this was a Georgia team in 2020 that hadn't even won the SEC East. This was a Georgia team in 2020 that had lost a couple of games by pretty sizable margins. This was a Georgia team that had not been in the playoffs in the previous four years. You had to go all the back to 2017 to kind of find the last example of Georgia making the playoffs. And after the game that night against Clemson, Kirby Smart said something on the field that kind of became one of the catchphrases for the for the season a year ago. And it's one of those things that sort of now kind of lives in folklore as it relates to UGA football. But it had a very tangible meaning and a very specific message when Smart spoke it of September of 2021. And as a way of kind of talking about how this team this year may be different from the team a year ago and why that matters going into this stretch run, let's go back and hear Kirby Smart from last September. Coach, for you, you built your career on defense. You know what good defense looks like. How do you describe what you saw out there tonight? Aggressive, getting after it. You're either elite or you're not. And that's what we've been saying all camp. You're either elite or you're not. And tonight, we played a really good game defensively. And look, guys, Clemson's got an unbelievable team. But I'm so proud for our university to come in this atmosphere, in their backyard, where they play their ACC championship game, and come here and win this game. A lot of resiliency and a lot of composure. 
I know you hear a lot of crowd noise when smart speaking there, but here's one thing you got to remember that noise sounds so great to my ears because that was the first full stadium at that time that we'd had in a year, right? We had not had a full crowd. So when you hear all those Georgia fans cheering at the end of that game, it sounds so good to my ears because at that time we'd been waiting such a long time to hear that. But the other thing that you heard from Kirby Smart, and it became kind of like one of those catchphrases of the year, you're either elite or you're not. But here's the thing you got to understand is that wasn't a rhetorical statement when Smart made that back then. There was some curiosity of, well, is this Georgia team elite? Because the year prior to that, as I said before, didn't necessarily seem like they were. Didn't win the East, lost to Florida, got blown out by Alabama, struggled to beat some, you know, only average type teams. You didn't know if Georgia was elite whatsoever. In fact, they didn't score an offensive touchdown in that win against Clemson. There was some curiosity of, is this Georgia team elite? Is this an elite kind of team? And as I mentioned before, it had been a long title, long drought of appearances uh, for Georgia in the college football playoff. Most of the teams that had made those multiple playoff appearances kind of done those kind of all clustered together. Georgia was the one team. And of, of, of any of the teams that had uh, made multiple trips to the college football playoff, Georgia became the first one to do it um, after more than a two-year gap in between appearances. Ohio State had two years between one of its playoff appearances. Georgia had four years between its two playoff appearances. That's the longest gap between playoff appearances to teams who've been more to more than one college football playoff, meaning there was some reason to wonder, could Georgia get back to where it was in 2017? Well, not only did it get back, they were actually built on that and won the national championship. It found out over the course of last year that it was an elite program. And you fast forward here to 2022, and yes, some of the players that contributed to that national championship are gone, but the belief that was earned last year remains. So is Georgia confident in itself? I believe it probably is. I think it probably should be. I think fans should be confident in it there as well. What Georgia's about to go through, rivalry game against Florida on Saturday, Tennessee, two big road games coming up after that, this is the stiffest test of the entire season for the dogs. It's the kind of stretch that only elite teams could navigate. But I think we have reason to believe that Georgia is elite. Without playing on Saturday, I think you actually come away feeling like maybe that's more true than ever based on the teams that Georgia has beaten that are beaten up on teams pretty good. Georgia is not a perfect team, but if you look around the rest of the national landscape, nobody else either. But Georgia is unquestionably in the elite category. I hope the team knows that about itself. I hope the team feeds off that confidence as you look ahead. And frankly, I hope to see all of that on display as the dogs look to beat up on the lousy, stinking Gators again this upcoming weekend as well. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We're presented today by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. I'm speaking to you. The fire alarms are still kind of rolling right along. We're okay, everybody? Everybody, we okay? Okay, well, I'm getting the thumbs up that, uh, like, I'm fine. Just want to make sure everybody else is fine. So we'll kind of roll on and keep doing what we're doing, and we're certainly glad to have you with us. Whether you check into us live on video, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, or on the radio at noon on Athens Sports Radio 960 The Ref, available as a podcast as well, Apple, Spotify, all kinds of great podcast platforms uh, for you to check us out on no matter how you get to us. We're just really happy to have you with us here today and really grateful to our friends at Pella Window and Door of Georgia for making it all possible. You know, when it comes to energy-efficient windows and doors, Pella Window and Door of Georgia is the one to turn to there on that. We're kind of moving into that sort of you know, late fall, winter time of the year that's on its way here pretty soon. A couple of things are going on. You got the wind blowing outside. You got the, the heat on, especially at night on the inside. And that nice, warm, toasty air on the inside of your house, that's where you want to keep it. 
that cold, frigid wind on the outside of your house, that's where you want. To, that's when you want to keep it. You don't want that creeping in through poorly fitted windows or doors. You don't want that expensive heat to kind of escape out of your house without keeping your family warm. You want the inside to stay where it's supposed to be, the outside to stay where it's supposed to be. And that is what Pella Window and Door of George is all about for you. They can also improve the curb appeal of your home because better windows and doors, one of the best ways to make your home look better on the outside, which could affect your resale value there as well. There is a lot to be gained by upgrading your windows and doors, the kind of product provided by Pella Window and Door of George. And this is the time to reach out to one of the Pella experts and having one of those no-pressure consultations. I'll talk to you about the product line. They'll talk about your installation options. You can actually go visit them at the Experience Center right there in Duluth. You can put your hands on the product. You can feel what makes it better. Uh, you know by now there have been surveys done all across the Atlanta area and year after year. It's demonstrated that folks in the know know that Pella Window and Door of Georgia truly is viewed to be the best, the number one product in that industry. And you can find out for yourself. You can also take advantage of some great savings opportunities there as well. Between now and the end of the month, you can get 10% off your entire project or a reduced rate of 6.99% for 120 months. That's a great savings opportunity on a terrific product, the Pella Windows and Doors. You can find them online to get more here. PellaofGA.com slash DogNation. That's PellaofGA.com slash DogNation. Or you can give them a call, 678-638-1496. That's 678-638-1496. Pella Window and Door of Georgia is viewed to be the best. All right, we're going to get John Stinchcomb here coming up in just a moment. We'll talk to him about the very sizable expectations for Georgia the rest of the way, including this Saturday against the Gators. We'll get to that here coming up in just a little bit. Before that, though, we're going to go around the doghouse, and it's assisted today by our friends at AAA. And obviously, we talked earlier about Georgia, I think, now knowing it's elite because it's been through the gauntlet of a national championship season last year around this time. If you were really being honest, you would have said, hey, can Georgia really do this? Can they get over the hump of Alabama? Can they run through this season? Can they can they do these kinds of things? There are even some folks who are doubting their ability to beat Michigan in the Orange Bowl. That, that Georgia actually proved a lot about itself over the course of that year. And so now it kind of feeds off that confidence here this year. But how about what we still need to know about these dogs? What do you still want to see more of? What needs to, to further materialize? And I think you can look back at the last game that Georgia played two Saturdays ago as maybe a little bit of an example of this. We kind of saw what appeared to be some playmakers sort of emerging at maybe the right time for Georgia. Now, some of what you know is going to happen for Georgia the next couple of weeks is about getting guys healthy. On the offensive side of the ball, speaking about playmakers, you want A.D. Mitchell back. You want him doing what he's capable of doing. But until that takes place, how about the guys that Georgia does have at his disposal? How about the guys that Georgia can use? And last Saturday, two Saturdays ago, you saw some of these guys kind of starting to, to, to sort of pop up here a little bit. I thought it was really fun to see in the Vanderbilt game uh, Darnell Washington put together a career high for catches. I thought that was a pretty valuable thing for UGA. And as a reminder of that about what he could be the, the rest of the way here for the dogs, Around the doghouse, assisted by AAA, let's get a reminder of Kirby Smart's evaluation of why it was that Darnell was in place against the Commodores to have the kind of day that he did. It's the similar level of praise we've been hearing Kirby share about Darnell over the course of this year. This is Kirby Smart from two Saturdays ago. He practices really well. Darnell practices really hard. Uh, you know, he's, he's a great kid, and uh, I thought he practiced really physical this week. And he got some opportunities off of play actions, and when the run game works, um, sometimes you get a chance to take shots on guys, and he's he's one of those guys that goes up and finds the ball. Don't you love that? I mean, Darnell is such a valuable weapon in that running game, and by making the running game go, being that extra elite level blocker 
All of a sudden, that creates more from the play-action game, and then Darnell can be the kind of guy that feasts there and be the guy that you throw to and you create those opportunities for. And when you think about beating the very best team still on the Georgia schedule, all hands-on-deck philosophy on offense, got to have all your playmakers out there and being a big part of this. And obviously, Darnell Washington is an example of that. It sounds like 365 days, you know, not just the you know the 12 games you see during the regular season, but all the practice time and the preparation time that leads up to that. Sounds like Darnell has made the most of his opportunity this year. And, man, you just really, really hope he continues to be rewarded for putting that kind of effort in. And it sounds like uh, this past Saturday, two Saturdays ago, that was kind of the example. And you think about Florida and Tennessee and the road games after that and the postseason coming up after that, more of that kind of stuff from Darnell Washington. You really, really want to see it. And then speaking of returning from injury, a guy who seems like he's kind of in the midst of doing all that right now is Dominic Blaylock. He's growing in confidence. He's one of those guys that makes some highlight-style catches. And as a freshman prior to the injuries that he dealt with in 2019, Dominic Blaylock kind of showed you a lot of potential. And last couple of games, including against Vanderbilt where he had the touchdown, all of a sudden you're kind of reminded of exactly what that potential was and the fact that the guy we thought he was as a freshman, he may now be, after a couple of years, on the other side of some injuries, he may still be that guy. Once again, Kirby kind of tossing some praise his way after a big game against the Commodores, at least a big moment in that win against the Commodores. Here is Kirby from two Saturdays ago on Dominic Blaylock. Great play. It's a great throw by Stetson on that play. You know, we had uh, uh, gotten ourselves in a third, maybe seven or eight. It was, it was long. And uh, it's a great throw, great catch. Uh, great athleticism by Dom to uh, to turn it up there and, and get the get the touchdown. Yeah, so obviously it was a great play, great athleticism. And when Dominic goes up and kind of high points the ball, or when he kind of shows you that, you know, that tremendous athletic ability, I think that you do get a hint that, hey, this can still be a special player. And that he is all of a sudden start to kind of regain that form that he had prior to the injuries that he dealt with. And then maybe one of the most fun moments of all a couple of Saturdays ago, when you think about playmakers, how about Eric Gilbert near the end of the game? Gets a catch, then gets a touchdown, gets the huge celebration from his teammates. They know the journey that he's been on. And while Kirby was kind of throwing out some compliments for guys who did a good job catching the football last week, Gilbert kind of got to be a part of that too. This is what Kirby said about Eric Gilbert last week. Kirby says trying to give him something to be celebrate, to be happy about. Obviously, in some ways, maybe this is kind of an incentive for the work that he's been doing, not just on the football field, obviously, but uh, unfortunately for Gilbert, most of the work that he's doing right now is probably away from football. And it's about things that for him are probably more significant than football. But obviously, football can be a motivational force. And it sounds like Kirby wants to see that be in place for Eric Gilbert. Then a couple of days later, at his only press conference last week, Smart was asked again about the big moment for Blaylock, the big moment for Gilbert, and this is what he said, kind of a follow-up to what he'd said in his post-game remarks about both those guys having nice moments against Vanderbilt. Kirby, one more time. I'm super proud for, for both those guys. You know, Dom to get that catch and, uh, and AG to get that catch. I think it's really incredible for both. And, uh, you know, Dom's been through just, I mean, think about two ACL injuries. And uh, to come back and have the success he's had, he's – He's as tough a kid as I've ever been through and as quiet a kid uh, that I've ever been around that just does not complain about anything. And uh, he just goes out and works. Nice strong words there from Kirby Smart. Let me see if I can kind of sum all this up here a little bit. In the case of Eric Gilbert, I think what happened for him last Saturday against Vanderbilt was kind of a fun thing. I'm not quite so sure yet, though I'm ready to put him in the category of big players for Georgia down the stretch, not because he's not 
ultra-talented, but because he is still on a very significant journey, and a lot of that is still kind of away from football. So I think he had his moment against Vanderbilt. I hope that he has more, but I don't know yet necessarily that the action at the end of the game against the Commodores is a precursor to or foreshadowing of more big moments to come against Florida. I'm not quite ready to say that as of yet. But Dominic Blaylock, maybe so. Darnell Washington, certainly so. That it is time to figure out who your playmakers are. And in the case of Georgia, a couple of these guys are obvious. Brock Bowers, obviously one of the best players in the country. His freshman season a year ago demonstrates how that true that is. But he's not the only guy for whom you can really potentially depend upon when you really need playmakers to step up. Dominic Blaylock may now be one of those guys. Darnell Washington almost certainly should be one of those guys. He had a career-high day against Vanderbilt. You'd like to see him build on that against Florida this week and against everything else that comes after that. And Dominic Blaylock now being healthy again and giving you a glimpse of why folks were as excited as they were about him when he arrived here to Georgia as a highly regarded recruit uh, way back in uh, 2019. It's fun to see him emerging exactly the right time. You need all the help you can get for the journey that Georgia wants to be on as it tries to go for two here in 22. Blaylock, Darnell Washington, maybe eventually Eric Gilbert, but some playmakers starting to come at exactly the right time for the dogs. And if you're a UGA fan, I think that's a very good thing to see. And that is around the doghouse, and it's assisted today by our friends at AAA. You know, this weekend traveling a whole bunch, high school football, then going to Jacksonville when I'm on the road, that AAA membership card with me everywhere that I go. But I don't want you to just think about AAA for the thing they're probably most famous for throughout the years, which is that legendary roadside assistance. I also want you to think about them as a great resource for your insurance needs there too, including your auto insurance. Because when you get your auto insurance through AAA, you can expect to get something more, more than just some regular experience. Uh, And you might even get uh, uh, something more while paying less for it. That's what AAA is kind of about. So you can get a no-obligation quote from a a great AAA uh, agent and find out if you qualify for some of the great incentives that come your way for getting your auto insurance through AAA, whether it be a membership discount, the paperless discount, the pay-in-full discount, the multiple car savings. So many great savings opportunities, so many great incentives that come your way from getting your auto insurance through AAA. So I hope you'll check that out today. You can give them a call, 833-718-2075. That's 833-718-2075, and you can find a branch near you to take advantage on all of that. It's great to have AAA assisting us with Around the Doghouse here today. All right, before we're done, there is a lot of interesting things that happen around college football this weekend. Some of this obviously centered right here in the SEC. In one instance, a future opponent for Georgia. In another uh, instance, an opponent that Georgia might be playing uh, at some point in time in the uh, near future. We'll cover all of that. Georgia also got a big recruiting win this weekend. We'll talk about that here before we're all said and done there as well. We'll continue to get you fired up for the uh, Gator-hater rivalry on Saturday against the lousy, stinking Gators of Florida. So we'll cover all of that ground before we're done. But for now, on everything else related to Georgia-Florida, everything else related to the big stretch that comes after that for the dogs, let's talk to John Stinchcomb right now on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. Great to have him and all of you with us here today. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. And it's John Stinchcomb here on a Monday. And, you know, it's kind of the calm before the storm here a little bit. John, I hope you've enjoyed a little time with family on Saturday with with no Georgia football to to occupy your attention. But as you kind of sit here after what for Georgia was a bye week, an off week, 
looking ahead, you're kind of maybe a little bit more, I guess, likely to contemplate than you might normally be. And, you know, for a long time around here, John, we've made a very big deal about Georgia-Florida. We've really tried to try to push it being Georgia's biggest rivalry, that it's a measuring stick game, that, hey, if you could guarantee yourself success against Florida, that would lead to a lot of your end-of-season goals in most years, having a better chance of being accomplished just because of what Florida historically has been as a program. And when we started pushing this many, many years ago, we've been doing the Gatorator Countdown here since 2016, when um, when we started pushing this, I don't know that I would have imagined a scenario, you know, in 2022 that George would find itself right now as more than a three touchdown favorite in this game. That George would be kind of operating on a string of dominance you know, every win since 2017, with the exception of the very weird pandemic year, which I'm not even really sure counts. Uh, that it's been an incredible run of dominance uh, for Georgia against Florida. It's expected to continue this Saturday on the part of the odds makers. And it's just kind of remarkable to think how the landscape of this rivalry has changed compared to where it was just a few years prior to this. And I guess I find myself kind of pausing to reflect on that here right now. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's got a lot to do with the fall of Dan Mullen. I think there was so much hype surrounding him as a coach and, uh, when he when he got to the program that all of a sudden it was going to uh, just jump leaps and bounds to the front of the pack and for looking at the SEC East they've it's it's Georgia and Florida and you know Tennessee has fallen so far down the pecking order that it really was uh, you know Florida's the only legitimized threat from from that side of the conference and um, under this Kirby Smart era it's just been dominant, and now I think it's reflective in the the line heading into the game, and there's plenty of Georgia fans that are already looking towards November 5th, which is shocking, really, when you're talking about a Georgia-Florida rivalry game, and um, it, it's just the, the state of affairs. And I think it also speaks to the cyclical nature of college football, that it's, it's hard to stay on the top, and um, Georgia has has certainly pointed their arrow straight up for this past couple of decades, whereas other programs have um, suffered at various valleys, and it seems like uh, Florida is certainly not anywhere close to where Georgia is as an overall program, and I'm going to rejoice and celebrate that fact. No doubt, and it also kind of points to something we talk about a lot, which is in the SEC in particular, there's just kind of a zero-sum game where as Georgia builds itself up, it's taking resources, whether it be you know successful coaches on the assistant ranks or certainly player talent, as it kind of marshals more and more of this inside its own football facility, there's just less for the other programs to enjoy. And some of what Georgia has is kind of food taken off the table of Florida. And you see this. And it's no coincidence that that, that Georgia building itself up has created kind of a downturn for Florida. It's created kind of a downturn for Auburn. It has created kind of a downturn for Tennessee. That may be in the process of changing, but but it's been kind of a downturn for Tennessee there as well. That Georgia has kind of just sort of sucked the life out of some of these programs in a place like Florida's continuing. And that's what Billy Napier has been hired to to change. But given the fact that Georgia under Kirby Smart has such a prodigious head start over what Napier is trying to build now that the task of actually building Florida in anything is made so much tougher because you've got a you know uh, a, a giant rival 
you know, just, just to, to the north of you that's been able to get several years out in advance of you and trying to build things that what you see going on in Georgia, Florida right now is just kind of another example of the zero-sum nature of the SEC that I want good things for me because it also means bad things for the programs that I hate. Yes, and I think Georgia, really, Coach Smart did an unbelievably great job. We, we didn't recognize it at the time, but um, we've always known that recruiting and getting talent in-house is, is very important, and you got to have <clears throat> the right uh, horses in the stable, if you will, if you're going to make these kinds of runs. And uh, when he prioritized and took Georgia's recruiting to a national level, and became uh, one of the premier landing spots for players well in advance of NIL deals and where you can influence the market with millions of dollars, which, you know, is uh, still illegal, but yet we know happens uh, at various places. It will always be the number one recruiter success. And when you win and and you see the success of those uh, that have come through uh, the Kirby Smart system, and you know they're now playing on Sundays. Every 17 and 18 year old kid across the country is going. I want that. I want to be a part of that, and um, that's where Georgia has extended the gap from the haves and the have-nots. And uh, Georgia certainly falls in the in the haves category with only a handful of other teams. And Florida is playing catch-up in what has become a really difficult marketplace uh, to, to maintain that level of, of competition. And even when you do recruit at a high level, and I think Texas A&M is a great case in point there, you have to be able to do something with the talent once it arrives. And Georgia continues to prove not only do they recruit at an elite level, but also their ability to cultivate talent and, and move really good players into that great category distinguishes them and uh, is the reason why they're the defending national champions and the number one team ranked uh, number one ranked team in the country. Let me also follow up on something else you said a moment ago, which is you know something alluding to the fact that there's a temptation, obviously, to overlook this because the Tennessee game seems so much bigger right now. Here's what I truly uh, believe, John. For whatever reason. There's always a lot of edge on the field when these two teams play. You know, it seems to be a lot more jawing back and forth, things like that. So for the team itself, while while fans, I think, are pretty tempted to look ahead to Tennessee because the Tennessee game just measurably seems bigger than Florida right now, on the field there that day, it always seems like the emotion conjures itself up kind of naturally. There's, just, there's definitely a rivalry feel on the field when these two teams play. And then, as I talked about last week, you know, this is where having an alumnus helps you as a coach. I do believe we have enough circumstantial evidence to point to this. That Kirby Smart genuinely hates Florida. They may have hated him worse when Bill, uh, when uh, uh, Dan Mullen was the coach, but but you know Kirby's kind of shown you that he has an appreciation for these kinds of rival games. He celebrates when Georgia wins. He he coaches very hard in them, and so I feel pretty confident that while you might have some justification for why you would be looking ahead to Tennessee. I have some belief that's not something that George is likely to do. I don't think that Kirby would let them, nor do I think these players really want to. I think they understand why this game still matters, even far removed from the chase for the playoff or anything like that. Just beating Florida is motivation in itself, I think, for this team. 
Yeah, but you can't look past the, the history of the rivalry and the unique setting. I, I do think that playing in Jacksonville and uh, the environment that's created with having uh, half red and black and half orange and blue stadium, um, it's refreshing, and it, it helps, I think, create a unique experience where you're not just going to say this is yet another com- uh, opponent, another game. The atmosphere helps you know, gain that focus and, and get guys motivated to play at their best. And, you know, even if you're from Florida or, or excuse me, outside of Florida or Georgia, if you're from Texas or California or New Jersey or wherever all of our international or national players are from, you can appreciate that the Georgia-Florida rivalry is one of the most uh, historied and, and passionate uh, rivalries in college football. So, you know, I don't think players are going to have any issues of, of looking past to Tennessee. This is the Georgia-Florida game. So Georgia did not play on Saturday, but I think that UGA was kind of a big winner on the day. Uh, a team that Georgia beat 49-3, to got a big win against previous unbeaten UCLA. Georgia also walloped South Carolina earlier this year. They've done nothing but win since then, including beating Texas A&M on Saturday. And then, frankly, some of the other teams that Georgia is most commonly compared to, Alabama won by virtue of the final score pretty easily against Mississippi State, but I don't know that it was always so impressive. Ohio State got off to a little bit of a slow start against Iowa, something we've seen Georgia do, and some folks have panicked when they have. Clemson looks like a little bit of a fraud right now uh, in you know going down to the wire against Syracuse before finally pulling that out. Uh, John, the point I'm getting to here is, common comparisons with Georgia honestly I think Georgia fares pretty well in some of those comparisons teams that Georgia thrashed are now thrashing other teams I think if you were watching a lot of college football on Saturday you didn't see the dogs play but the dogs kind of looked like a pretty big winner based on the action that did unfold do you have the same takeaway absolutely I I think ultimately it'll come down to the next four weeks of football for Georgia Florida Tennessee Mississippi State Kentucky those games are all going to uh, tell us all we need to know about this Georgia team and where they stack up nationally. But as the, as the weekend played itself out, there isn't a single team that you would want to trade positions with. I, we, I think after that week one, everyone expected Oregon to uh, just climb in the polls, probably not quite as precipitously as, as they've been able to uh, – get into the top 10 and look like, you know, one of those teams. But um, that's not unexpected. I mean, I think Georgia beat a a young team that has a new coach and a a quarterback that was still learning the system, and they're trying to get everything together, and they're not going to play near the competition that they had in week one. So it makes Georgia look better. Um, And it's funny how those things go. At the end of the year, are we going to say – uh, you know, was that was that an anomaly for Oregon uh, in Week One, or you know, did they just have a slip? No, they got thrashed. But that's that's the Georgia's advantage. I think at the end of the year, you can justify uh, their number one ranking when you look at their full body of work, and that's going to need to include uh, what they do over the next four weeks. But you can't disregard the fact that in Week One. It was arguably the most complete performance any team has offered this season against a, a worthy opponent. So um, it, it, it's always great to be a dog, but 
even when we're not playing, it feels like we're winning right now, and that's a good place to be. And along those lines, I talked about this before the uh, before you joined us here today. To me, a big difference between Georgia right now and Georgia of a year ago is is that nobody really knew last year if Georgia would be good enough to do what it eventually did. When it beat Clemson to begin the season, you got to remember the team prior to that for Georgia hadn't even won the SEC East in its previous year. No one was really picking Georgia to do – you know, certainly not win the national championship going to last season. There's always a sense in which Georgia fans have a certain hope springs eternal type feeling at the beginning of the year, but very few folks kind of outside of Dog Nation would have been using Georgia and, and national championship in the same sentence before last year began. But over the course of that year, Georgia did go on a journey. It did get the win against Clemson. It eventually got over the hump against Alabama. It it beat up on Michigan in the Orange Bowl at a time which also some doubt had kind of crept back in for some people. I know a lot of the players that were on that team have now moved on, but the confidence that was earned throughout a year like that, I do think a lot of that does remain. That kind of in the DNA of Georgia as a program now is kind of a well-earned, justifiable confidence. And when you think about, you know, this the stretch run, the things like that that are coming up here for Georgia you know, having been battle tested in big moments a year ago, I, I do think some of that confidence is likely to linger here for UGA right now. Do you agree with that? Yes, and I, I would compare it to like a, a poverty mindset where it's more than just uh, you know your financial situation that that has folks generationally impoverished. That now obviously that's a big factor, but um, there are other factors at play, including when when times get tough you're like oh here we go again yeah. well the, i think the opposite is true when when you're a part of a winner and a part of a championship uh program that when bad things happen you're going this is a blip on the radar and we're going to get past it and when good thing good things happen you're like yeah this is what we do this is what we were made for and and why we work as hard as we uh do week in and week out and that's where georgia is as a program now as many young players are, are contributing right now, it's an ongoing developmental process. And I was listening to some of the guys this past week talk about, you know, this is a bye weekend, not a bye week. Yeah. And they're, they're still getting a <laughs> lot of work in, right? And, you know, I can relate as a player where, you know, mentally you come into that week like, thank goodness you have it off, and all of a sudden it's a grinder, and you're going, holy cow, it's a lot more than I was anticipating. But that's where this Georgia program is, that – the identity and uh, the mental mindset is we're champions. We just have to go out and prove it each week. And that when times get tough, we can rise to the occasion. And I think we saw that in Missouri, um, even if it was self-inflicted. But the expectation is we're coming away as winners because that's who we are. And that's what we're about. And nothing will get us off that course. Um, and you marry that, too the young players that are contributing and understanding that they're in a process of development and getting better. And that's why I think Georgia continues to distinguish themselves from other programs is you have that identity as a champion, but also that mindset and an ability to cultivate talent in the process that this Georgia team uh, should be better by the end of this season than the one that dismantled Oregon in week one yeah. just because of the, the the number of players that will continue to improve with experience and um, 
being in a playing at a collegiate level like they are and competing against the guys that they do during practice week in and week out. All right, let me finish with this. We've seen Georgia through seven games. They were off last Saturday. Now they got a big stretch run coming up, which begins with Florida. John, what do you feel like you've learned about this team here thus far? And I guess what do you still want to see more of? Is there a missing piece that's out there? Is there a component you want to see more fully formed out? What is your kind of evaluation of Georgia? This isn't the midway point of the year, technically. Uh, but but what do you what have you seen? What do you want to see more of? Yeah, I think we know who they are and who they're not. And, and that's a good thing. It, we don't have that dominant pass rusher or dominant running back like some other teams might have. That's not who we are and, and candidly don't need to be. I think our, our tight end room is continues to live up to that billing of the best in the country between Brock and, and Darnell, who's had one heck of a season next to a, a Heisman Trophy candidate. And there's times where you know those guys are, are playing um, – subservient roles to the team and put team first and i think that's what makes champions great i you'd still want to see you know, development and stability at the wide receiver spot there's talent there uh but health has been an issue and ad mitchell getting him back i think would be uh, a big boon to the the system there defensively um for a young group that had to replace as many stars i think they've exceeded the the billing that uh, they should have gotten at the beginning of this year, and that's to their credit. Um, the, the play has been at a much higher level than, than I anticipated, and, and I'm grateful for, but there's still guys that are young and contributing that are getting better in this process, and even some established veterans. I mentioned Warren, Warren Brinson last week as, as a guy that has caught my eye a couple different ways, mm. in addition to young guys like Malachi Starks and Mike Hell. So um, I think the merge and uh, integration of new talent with guys that have been a part of the system has been a defining characteristic and probably will be um, during this era was you lose guys to the NFL draft and you continue to recruit at such a high level. Uh, but this team has been... Uh, able to come o overcome adversity, uh, which specifically talking about that Missouri game with some self-inflicted turnovers early on in the game and being behind in a hostile environment with a team that was playing good football. And yet, at the end of the day, uh, Georgia continued to battle and, and not panic and come away with a win. So I think this team is showing those characteristics of what it takes to be a champion. And that's uh, believing in their identity, continuing to develop, and having that superior talent that you can count on to, to make plays. John, it's great stuff. Thank you so much for being here today on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. Look forward to hopefully uh, seeing the dogs get a nice win against Florida this upcoming weekend and having a chance to talk to you about that again next week there as well. So enjoy the week, and we will look forward to getting the chance to talk to you soon. Always enjoyed it, B.A. Go dogs. Thank you, John. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Let me take some time here, a couple of minutes before we kind of move on with everything else to say. On Saturday night, speaking of John Stinchcomb, I had a chance to hang out with his brother Matt and a lot of other great former dogs as a part of the inaugural ceremony for the Georgia High School Football Hall of Fame. The first class ever 
going in this uh, weekend. We had the induction ceremony. It took place at the College Football Hall of Fame. And a lot of you maybe watched on Peachtree TV on Friday. You saw our Hall of Fame game between Grayson and Brookwood. We had some of the Hall of Famers there with us. Of course, this is not all just former UGA guys. There were a lot of former UGA guys like Eric Zier and our buddy Terrence Edwards and others who you know, went in. But in a, it just it, it's a celebration for all those who've played high school football in Georgia, even guys who've gone other places. Charlie Ward was there, as a for instance. Uh, you know, Calvin Johnson goes in. Uh, guys from there, in which that maybe we've been around to see, but also guys from you know pre nineteen fifties. And Bill Curry was there. Told a great story about you know what high school football meant to him. He went into the to the Hall of Fame with the first class here too, and it was just an incredible experience. So. To I.J. Rosenberg, who's obviously kind of the editor-in-chief of Score Atlanta, kind of the guy that sort of held, you know, uh, sort of headed all this up and kind of got it going. I just want to personally say thank you for allowing me to be a part of it. I'm so proud to be on the board of the Georgia High School Football Hall of Fame. I was thrilled to be a part of the voting process for the first class that went in and getting a chance to be a part of that ceremony on Saturday night. Eventually, next couple of weeks, is going to be on television on Peachtree TV. Some of you may have watched it streamed over the weekend. We did stream it live, and the television broadcast comes up in a couple of weeks' time, but I cannot tell you how much I enjoyed that opportunity, how proud I was to be a part of that. So uh, just an awesome, awesome experience. Now, completely different type of thing, but I want to say this too before we move on. Mike Goigne was watching us online at dognation.com. He noticed that I'm wearing the original Gator Hater logo on my uh, shirt here today. This was kind of the one that sort of started it all uh, for us. And guess what? It's back now. Mike said, hey, where can I get one of those shirts? So let me do this. Can we put this on the screen? We have a QR code if you're watching on video. Now, if you're not watching on video, if you're listening to radio podcast, just go to dognation.com, the top of the page. You can click the link. We have a Dog Nation store. You can also visit dognation.store and get all this there too. But you want the original Gatorator t-shirt? It's there for you. You want the lousy, stinking Gators t-shirt like I have right now? How good is this going to look in Jacksonville this upcoming weekend? Folks walking around lousy stinking gators you better believe this is going to be the message and everybody's going to be loving this chance to see this in jacksonville on saturday that is going to be a blast you can get one of those there as well how about eddie the blind squirrel we have his t-shirts for you there too you want to show that off in jacksonville on saturday you have a chance to do that there too so dognation.store top of the page dognation.com click the link or that qr code there a moment ago you can check that out too and you can go get all of that if you're watching a video. That's the example of what the Eddie shirt looks like, the lousy stinking Gator shirt. You don't see the original Gator Hater shirt on that screen, but pr- tr- uh, promise you it is there. And so you can get that and be ready to go with all of that. All right, let's get ready to go cruise around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And by the way, speaking of Royal Caribbean, excited about being aboard Independence of the Seas this upcoming April, April 24th. We are leaving out, going to Nassau in the Bahamas, going to Perfect Day, Coco Cay. I'll probably be wearing some of this Gator Hater gear out around the pool deck. I like to do that. We uh, enjoy all of that. We encourage all of you to be with us there too. Many of you have signed up, saw some chatter about this on Twitter this weekend, want you to be there, want you to be a part of it all. We've been given uh, a travel agent, specially selected for us by Royal Caribbean to help book all this up. I've gotten to know her. She's a good friend now. Her name's Jessica Slater, and you can give her a call, 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. You can ask her your questions. You can get booked up today and be a part of the great Dog Nation cruise coming up this April. Or you can go to royaldogs.com. That's a website she's made to educate you about how much fun it's going to be. All the great stuff on board Independence of the Seas, the Broadway-style shows, the delicious restaurants, specialty restaurants, the fun bars and lounges, all of that cool stuff. 
but also the extra special Dog Nation events, sort of exclusive Dog Nation events that are only for those on the Dog Nation cruise. You can get that there as well. Jessica's going to take really good care of you. So RoyalDogs.com for more on that or call her 770-718-9147. It's April 24th. We're leaving out. Last night of the cruise, the NFL draft, we'll have a big draft party and a whole kinds of fun special events between then there as well. Plus going to Nassau, going to Perfect Day, Coco Cay, going to be a great experience. All right, we got a lot to deal with here as we're cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And I guess thing number one for me, maybe we can bring the music down just a tiny slight little bit if you don't mind. Actually, never mind, the music's over now. <laughs> We've now talked for five minutes and the music's now over. But So let's bounce through some of this here for a little bit. A lot of you um, were... I guess having a strong reaction to the fact that Jermaine Burton did play for Alabama on Saturday and Nick Saban's explanation on that left a lot for some of you to be desired. I understand where that comes from. I guess I'm kind of of a similar mind there on that, that it is not a great look for Bama to play Burton in a game immediately after being captured on video, uh, making contact with it. I think two different people, right? And one of those being a uh, female. This is not a great look for Alabama. But let me give you kind of a different kind of spin on all of this. To me, I think this sort of shows you, if I'm a Crimson Tide fan, what I'd be a little bit concerned about right now. This just sort of seems like a little bit of slippage on the part of the Alabama program. And the grip that Nick Saban has had on that program Boy, I think you have to sort of start to wonder, are we in kind of a new era where things are a little bit different than they used to be? Let me give you two quick examples. Example number one, I think back to when Georgia played Alabama in 2015. Remember it poured down rain? And there's such a big deal made about how Alabama was so prepared for a stoppage of play. If there was lightning delay, things like that, they had new shoes they're going to put on the players. They had their meeting areas all set up. They were going to take full advantage of that time. And, oh, they're just so sharp. and They're just so buttoned up. They're just so prepared for everything. Well, all of a sudden now, you fast forward to 2022, all of a sudden, Alabama's not prepared for the possibility of, well, if Tennessee wins, they haven't beaten Alabama in 15 years, whatever whatever that total time has been, they're going to storm the field. we got to be careful for that. It's the kind of thing that, that Alabama in the past sort of thought of as prepared for everything. Well, suddenly they're not prepared for the idea that the fan's going to rush the field. You know, Saban talking about Burton being afraid. He's basically defending himself because he was, you know, fearful. That's not a great look. The whole thing is just sort of really odd here. But beyond that, here's the other thing if I was an Alabama fan I'd be quite concerned about. Is to me, this just sort of looks like an unforced error. The fact of the matter is, Alabama didn't need Jermaine Burton to beat Mississippi State. It's not like Burton's having that big of a year to be, you know, to begin with anyway. This is not the kind of thing that Alabama had to do in order to win the game. It's just the kind of thing that Nick Saban wanted to do. And why did he want to do it? Because you sort of get the impression that I don't think he wanted to be told what to do. I don't think he. I don't, I don't think he liked the idea of having this forced upon him here. This sort of feels like an ego influenced power play, and these are the kinds of decisions that Nick Saban's making at this stage of his career. I think he, I think it leads you to wonder what other faulty logic is he doing playing a guy like Burton in a game like this, where it's not really all that consequential. It just just seems like a little bit of an illogical move given the fact that he very easily could have suspended him without you know, facing much in the way of sort of ill effect or, or negative consequences to that. There's a lot about Nick Saban right now that just looks a little bit different and doesn't guarantee anything. Alabama still could win the national championship here this year. But some of the things that he said as of late, a decision like this to play Burton, it just sort of seems like a guy who's just a little bit 
Something about Nick Saban right now just sort of feels a little bit off, and I'm not quite so sure the win against Mississippi State did much to change perception on that. On the flip side, not a good look for Mike Leach at all. Uh, this is another example of Mississippi State essentially being you know, non-competitive in a big game, non-competitive against Alabama in particular. Uh, they finally scored a touchdown in the final play of the game. That's something they sort of failed to do you know, prior to that. And at the end of the game, Leach essentially blamed his players, saying they were all afraid of Alabama. They see that Alabama jersey, and they basically just get afraid. And this is one of the reasons why a lot of people don't like Mike Leach. It's one of the reasons why I don't really respect Leach either. Uh, a lot of folks kind of like him. They think he's funny because he says these crazy, odd things in press conferences. He goes down these rabbit trails and things like that. But the truth is, is that Leach just isn't a serious person. He wasn't serious at Washington State. He would always blame players there when they lost games, like the rivalry game at the end of the year to Washington. Uh, and the same thing kind of going on here in the SEC there as well, where his system, as kind of odd and mercurial as it is, against the very best teams that he runs up against just doesn't work that well. A smart coach like Chris Peterson that he used to face in the Apple Cup at the end of every year while he was at Washington State, they just sort of figured out that Mike Leach offense. Teams like Alabama and the SEC West, they just sort of figure out that Mike Leach offense. And all the crazy stuff that Leach has been sort of thought to be able to do, the innovative offensive mind he's been thought to be, it just doesn't work in the biggest games that Mississippi State plays. Now, that doesn't mean that when Georgia travels to Starkville in a couple of weeks, it's going to be an easy game. The truth is, while the Leach offense kind of falls flat in games like this, defensively, they're actually really pretty tough. Um, they did a good job of stopping the run against Alabama on Saturday. When you think about what Georgia's going to face here in a few weeks, you're actually probably a little bit more concerned about what Mississippi State does defensively right now than what it does offensively because – if, if Alabama could shut it down, I believe that Georgia's likely to do the very same thing. But the Bulldogs are a little bit – I'm talking about the maroon version of the Bulldogs here. They're a little bit of a load to deal with defensively. So it still can be a, a bit of a tough task for Georgia. But there's a lot about Mike Leach that is, is to me, just a little too much clown show. Blaming players after a game like this, not a good look. Uh, you know, having your offense completely and totally shut down again in a game that matters most just kind of goes to show you that, that Leach kind of operates well as a sideshow and he functions well in kind of college football backwaters like Pullman, Washington or Lubbock, Texas. But if you want to be a coach of consequence in the SEC, Mike Leach is just a long way away from being a guy like that. His counterpart in the Magnolia State, maybe you'd say the same thing about there as well. That's Lane Kiffin. So Ole Miss was undefeated going to Baton Rouge on Saturday. Rare example of team ranked in the top 10 as a point spread underdog to an unranked LSU team. Typically speaking, that's usually a sign to take the favorite there in that spot. In this particular case, that's what I should have done. My on-the-record pick here was Ole Miss, thinking that Ole Miss was ready to be a little bit more of a serious-minded team there as well, and they're just not. Uh, not able to handle this game against LSU there on Saturday. Completely falling flat there in that situation. And I guess you're left to wonder, well, is this an example of LSU just getting better? Has LSU just improved? Jaden Daniels in particular, has he improved? Or is this an example of Ole Miss kind of benefiting from a very easy schedule prior to all of this and kind of having a little bit of an inflated record? There's probably an example of both of those things being somewhat true. I think over the last couple of weeks, I do think that LSU is showing some improvement under Brian Kelly. And certainly in this game, I think Ole Miss kind of shows you that some of what he had done as a from a rain from a from a, a record standpoint coming into this game was inflated because for the most part they really hadn't played anybody as of yet. But uh, a a pretty interesting outcome there in the SEC West, seeing LSU get that rivalry win there 
against Ole Miss. And then finally, I'll mention Jimbo Fisher here. You know, I kind of talked about this a little bit uh, off the top of the program, that South Carolina beating A&M the way that it did, I think, uh, gives you a chance to sort of reconsider Georgia here and, and, and realize that Georgia is the number one team in the country is actually a little bit more solid in that spot than even you would have imagined because teams like uh, South Carolina and Oregon that had blown out have kind of gone on to win a bunch of games since then. And on the flip side of that game there on Saturday, boy, how many times am I going to get it wrong on Jimbo Fisher? Probably, I guess, an endless streak because I really thought the A&M was ready on Saturday going into Columbia. They'd won every game against South Carolina prior to this since being in the SEC. I, I really felt like that this was an example of A&M kind of finding a soft spot in its schedule and kind of shaking off some of the doldrums from earlier. And they just can't do it. This is just not a very good football team right now. And I don't know what that means for Jimbo Fisher. I mean, it was just a year ago. They're giving him a huge contract extension and obviously celebrating the fact that they were able to fight off LSU because Scott Woodward, the athletic director at uh, LSU, would love nothing more to hire his good friend Jimbo Fisher. He hired him at A&M, then he moved to LSU to become the athletic director. He would have loved to have hired Jimbo Fisher again, and A&M prevented that from happening. It just as recently as a year ago, they were really rallying around the fact they had held on to Jimbo Fisher and celebrating that as a big thing. And his buyout now stands at somewhere in the neighborhood of like $90 million, something crazy like that. But they're just not a good football team. And, and you know, going on the road with a team like South Carolina, they're just not capable right now of winning this. I don't know that there's any coach I've ever seen have his reputation more tarnished more quickly than what Jimbo Fisher's doing with right now I guess you could compare it to guys like Dan Mullen from a year ago maybe or maybe Gus Malzahn prior to that I think you have to put Jimbo Fisher in that category and I don't mind telling you someone like me just sort of spits out opinions over and over again the way that I do some of them in retrospect don't look very good and my opinion when when A&M spent big to hire Jimbo Fisher away from Florida State I really thought that was going to be a big statement that A&M had kind of finally arrived on the scene as an SEC power because they were able to wrestle away a coach who had won a national championship. At the time that Jimbo uh, moved over to A&M, there were not a lot of active coaches with national championships, Jimbo being one of those. But you have to sort of say, in kind of in retrospect here, the, the national championship that he got at Florida State in 2013 looks to be a little bit of a fluke. And I'm not quite ready to say that his – a&M tenure is going to be a total failure, and I don't think they're going to fire him after this season. But right now, he does not look like a very good coach, and this doesn't look like a very good team. Furthermore, it doesn't look like a very good program. Obviously, the NIL-influenced recruiting class from a year ago is kind of the only prominent thing to have happened for them other than a handful of wins that came in the weird pandemic year of 2020. But this A&M situation is a mess right now, and I don't know that Jimbo Fisher is capable of cleaning it up, at least based on where things stand right now. We'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Now, I do want to do this on a much different note, uh, celebrate a recruiting win for the Georgia Bulldogs there on Saturday. I should say on Sunday it came. Chris Peel, the four-star defensive back out of Charlotte, North Carolina, making his pledge to Georgia. I'm sure you read about that there at dognation.com. We previewed this on Friday when Jeff Sintel popped by to uh, be here on Dog Nation Daily. We'll show you a nice edit from our Dog Nation team there that kind of celebrates uh, Peel. You see his position listed as cornerback. I guess there's some debate about whether or not that's the position he's going to play in college. But one of the things you like here is, is this sort of represents sort of the size specs that George is looking from for its defensive backs, whether it's corner, safety, whatever else. 6'1", 190 pounds. Easy to imagine that Peel, you know, getting involved in that, you know, college nutrition program, strength and conditioning program, 
could eventually be a 200-pound type guy standing more than 6'1". He also runs really well. These are the kinds of defensive backs that Georgia seeks out. The kind of defensive backs that is really a requisite right now in the SEC. You got to have big guys that can run your defensive secondary. You got to have that length. You got to be able to have that. And it seems like Peel has that in spades. And another example here of Georgia adding a real player of note to its 2023 class. And there is seemingly some real momentum here as we head towards the conclusion of the 2023 cycle. And whatever concerns may have existed about this class at one point in time and some thought maybe a lack of momentum on the heels of a national championship or or whatever related to that. All of that seems like a long time ago right now because Georgia, while not getting everybody that it wants and still got some you know hay that's still not quite in the barn yet of players you might could still get for this class of 2023. But Peel, another example of a big get and certainly one to celebrate there when it comes to the dogs. And by the way, speaking of the dogs, let's also give a shout out to our friends at the UGA Alumni Association here because they got some great stuff going on. You think about the next half, sort of the final remainder of the season there for UGA. Well, it's going to be exciting moments here coming up. And the UGA Alumni Association wants you to help celebrate all those moments and enjoy those moments as much as you possibly can with fellow Bulldogs. All season long, alumni.uga.edu. That's the website alumni.uga.edu is going to help you get the most out of game day. Get up to date on what's happening across the campus and all the stuff worldwide as Georgia fans use that website as kind of a hub to connect themselves to each other. You can find a game watching party near you. You can uh, find some places you can call the dogs even when you're not in Athens there on game day. Also some uh, football video content, special digital downloads. You can get some unique uh, Georgia gear if you want to show off your Bulldog pride no matter where you are. All of that, sort of the best way to demonstrate your Bulldog spirit, being a proud member of this uh, UGA uh, alumni group, you can do that by going to the website alumni.uga.edu. That's alumni.uga.edu because with the uh, UGA Alumni Association, uh, UGA grads never have to bark alone, no matter where you may be across our great country, across the world. The UGA Alumni Association connects you together, alumni.uga.edu, for a lot more on that. And the other day here on our show, we gave out a golden shoe to the UGA volleyball team for getting a nice win, series win, I guess, uh, against the uh, Florida Gators. And we celebrated that there at the time. And, well, we had some folks who uh, said, hey, they were proud to be able to see that and said, hey, we were there that day. So let's give out some golden shoes here to uh, Charles Pearson. Uh, good look there. Family kind of getting together to watch some of that. Charles saying on Twitter, just heard the end of yesterday's show about the volleyball team. We were there with the Power G on watching UGA. So going actually to Gainesville to uh, see that Georgia getting that volleyball win there against Florida. So uh, Charles shared that with me and good to see the family and having a good, good time doing all that. So we'll give out golden shoes there to the Pearsons for what looks like a great time celebrating a Georgia win in Gainesville. Never a bad thing. And looking forward to seeing a Georgia win against those lousy stinking Gators in Jacksonville coming up on Saturday. Great way to start our week there on that. By the way, speaking of those lousy stinking Gators, about 5,037 days since they have won a national championship long title drop for them makes you want to laugh and another reason to smile the gator hater countdown is now down to just five days five days from now georgia back in jacksonville beating up on florida uh, that's our gator hater countdown eddie the blind squirrel loves that and we will see all of you tomorrow right back here on dog nation daily presented by Pella window and door of georgia